Welcome to the WeirdThings.com podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello, everybody. Mr. Brian Brushwood. Howdy, everyone. Brian speaking in his normal voice for once. Glad to see you're not using that filter, Brian. I'm doing hits of helium in between takes. First, a little bit of business, some weird business, if you will. We've been getting a lot of feedback. A lot of people have been uh, listening to this little podcast, which flatters us immensely. And there's been some discussion about trying to put together a comment board, which sounds great to us until we do that. If you want, just comment in the podcast posting on weirdthings.com. And that's a great place for us to look for things to bring up when you have some points. But I think a discussion board could be cool. So we'll look into setting one of those up. So just put that out there. So everybody knows. And we want to thank all the love we've been getting on iTunes. Um, absolutely very flattering for us to go there and see the nice things people have had to say about us and the very amusing not so nice things which uh is fun too i was very confused by by the one negative comment we got (laughs) until until i clicked on his name and saw his opinions on other things yeah i was like oh you and i have fundamental disagreements yeah we'd we'd be pretty happy if you didn't like what we did um (laughs) so anyhow thank you very much if you like this podcast please go into itunes and Give us wonderful ratings, say nice things. Feel free to describe how you perceive the podcast so we can give people fair warning what to expect because, I mean, listen, if you're not familiar with this podcast, it is a bit odd. Or weird. Yeah. Or weird. Mm. Anyhow, so um, our last podcast uh, may have set a precedent that I don't think we're going to be able to top. Um, (laughs) For some reason... It seemed controversial to a minority to talk about cannibalism and family members, et cetera, and, and what's considered a little bit disturbing, a little bit dark. But, you know, that's what this podcast is about, asking these questions. So, Brian, I'm, I'm very curious to find out, uh, as in the last podcast, you uh, gleefully, eagerly provided all sorts of details upon which family members you would consume. In which what order. Conditions. Yeah, yep. in which order, all of that. So how did this go over at the old uh, Brushwood home front? Well, it's not like I finish up the podcast and immediately sit the missus down and say, listen to what I say about this. But <laughs> we did find ourselves on a ride down for Thanksgiving to see the in-laws, six hours in the car, and Bonnie didn't have anything in her iPod, so she grabbed my iPhone, and so she started <laughs> listening to weird things. And so I would hear these intermittent, I'm not listening to what she's saying, what she's hearing, but like it was funny because she would laugh randomly but then, no, I, I'm surprised considering the topic. You didn't just put it on for the whole family. You didn't just <laughs> yeah, plug it the into kids the right there in the yeah, car. Yeah, hey kiddos, listen to this. But here's what here's what I got. She was totally fine with dragging the momsicle around the corner and eating it. But her only <laughs> comment was that she couldn't believe that she wouldn't also drape the children in her skin. Like she was really <laughs> upset that I didn't use the entire Buffalo. And then, but then when we got to the actual decision of which of my children to eat first, that was too much. And then she would, she had to skip <laughs> onto another section. <laughs> so she was tough until a point, And then she's like, that's sick. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're a bad man. I want out. So Justin <laughs> and I shouldn't be expecting any invitations to the Brushwood Christmas party anytime soon. Let's just we? say this. If you do get an invitation to the Brushwood pr- Christmas party, don't eat or drink anything. Maybe wear Kevlar. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would love to see you guys like like your Christmas card, which is the three of or the four of you guys really like a chili on the side of a mountain. Like, <laughs> you know, frostbitten lips. Hungry. Oh, God. The hunger. So I have here in my hand, an envelope. 
and it's sealed with wax. Justin will testify to this. It is, it is. Just so everybody knows the depths of the weirdness of Andrew Maine, <laughs> this is not just a gimmick. When it's just me and Andrew talking on Skype, he pulls out a weathered letter, and he's like, ah, these are the topics, and then shows me the wax seal that he's just applied to Are it. you kidding me? Like, that's not yes. a, oh my god, that's No, awesome. this is not, this is not just a radio thing. You know what like, Andrew's like? Andrew's like those people who take Dungeons and Dragons too far, and they actually make you go out and find mandrake root before you can cast a fireball and i end up wandering around an underground cavern and uh yeah, get lost with, in that, that, like, that old tom hanks movie yeah. <laughs> are you the innkeeper <laughs> maybe maybe so if that's a ruse to get my parents to take me back in i'll listen i'm open to that all right Being pop, a grown pop, up, go ahead and pop the top on this podcast here andrew so i'm going to open up this envelope my uh, Lord of the Rings letter opener's upstairs, so I'll have to suffice with the... Was that the orc shank? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the orc shank, if you missed our uh, our Houdini special, that was really yeah. something. <laughs> All right, I'm using a razor blade, trying not to cut myself, which <laughs> can bring this podcast to an abrupt end. <laughs> Di- didn't you seal this yourself? Yeah, I sealed it myself. That means I have to open it myself. (laughs) What, do you think I have some sort of magic spell over it? I can just wave my hand and summon it to open? It can only be unsealed in the fires of Mount Doom. Doom. That's right. (laughs) Or the parking lot of Arby's. I have here (laughs) a parchment letter. (laughs) If by parchment you mean Office Depot 24-pound paper. I have a series of questions here going across the spectrum here. Some of them relate to things that have been on the podcast lately. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with that at all, but are just things that I wanted to know. And again, you know, after last week, uh, we have to go in a different direction because it's not like we can come up with some equally disturbing, twisted thing or whatever to talk about. So we're going to go in maybe a little more science-y this week. So, Thank God. Yeah, that, there's will, no way that'll bite me in the butt. So let's go science. Yeah, so Brian, let's start off with this. Um, if your wife died, would you have sex with her clone? God, Woo! come on! Come on! <laughs> really? This one goes to 11. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know which I like more. The 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 sickness of of the very question or your delivery or the fact oh, that there's god. probably that an article perfect. that says exactly that. I just love it. It was just, it was just he was like a snake in the grass, just waiting for his moment to strike, and then bam! Without yeah. hesitation, two right, fangs in the neck. Here's the problem with clones, right? Yeah. In science fiction, it's always like you throw you throw a piece of foot in a microwave, and out pops a fully formed woman that remembers everything the previous iteration remembers. Right. But yeah. realistically, we're talking about you take a piece of foot and you take it to the lab, and then they impregnate a zygote, and you got to wait you know, for it to cook 21 years until it's fully formed. And then, you know, 18 years. Okay, (laughs) Close enough. Boy, that's really Depends on the state. Yeah, maybe maybe 17 because you count that vat time too. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, come on, it's good enough. That's why I've already reserved my weekend retreat at the clone farm of Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) Life begins at conception, so she's already legal now. Come on. Man, uh, I, I explain more. Give me more details here. Which version are we talking? Are we talking the microwave cookout or the 18 years of waiting? The slow well, burn? Well, let, let's go. Let, let's say it's an Instamatic, okay? And, and there are two approaches. Let's Insta-magic. do one. magic. Let's do one approach, okay? One approach is uh, she, you know, let's say she, you know, donated some tissue to some sort of experiment, 
right? She, she valiantly passes away, saving the planet from some sort of calamity. Okay. Thank you, thank you for that, Andrew. Right. This this gets you back some credit. Keep going. Keep, keep going. <laughs> We're talking about your hypothetical wife. Uh, oh, okay, not my actual okay. wife. Okay. No, no, okay. Your hypothetical wife. Uh, Meow. Uh, anyhow, so she passes away heroically. Okay, and modern science says, Brian. We're going to do you a favor. We have actually we we made a cloned up copy of her 18 years ago, and she's living in Flagstaff, and she wants to meet you. So she's like younger and hotter, but she has totally different memories. She's younger and just as hot, Brian. <laughs> right, that's what I said. Uh, <laughs> do me a favor, Justin. Edit this edit. correctly. Thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. I certainly won't repeat that line twice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so she's like younger and hotter, but she has totally different memories. So she's like younger and hotter, but she has totally different memories. Repeat that line twice. <laughs> Um, but it's, you know what? That's a different person. That's, that's her half sister who I may or may not even understand on a personal level. Well, it's her full twin essentially. Yeah. But, but I mean like, you know, metaphorical half sister, where it's just okay. like, you know, growing up under a different family, different rules. It's the nature versus nurture thing. And, so let's, and, let's, let's start here, Brian. She Facebook friends you. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you kind of, oh, you play so dirty. Uh, okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll Facebook friend her, yeah, because it's right. like, you know, we got this, we got we got my girl in common. She private messages you. Hey, I'm going to be in town, like to hang out. Uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, I would like you to meet your nieces. Great. She comes to town, you hang out, go do whatever you guys do for dinner. In Austin, you take her out for ribs and pabst. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> says says the man from Florida. You, you let her you let her ride up front in the pickup truck. Okay. <laughs> you go out there and you go shoot your shotguns off. Yeah. She laughs at all of your jokes, which Lord knows, all of them. I mean, that's that's a feat. I, I'm sure Bonnie doesn't even do that. No, right? no, that's okay. So but I see what you're getting at. But this is this is a problem that we've seen a lot in history. And in fact, I mean, <laughs> the history of cloning. Go no, ahead, no, Brian. no, 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 no. In that, in that, the husband dies and the brother enters the picture. And in fact, I mean, it's like, isn't it in the Bible? Like, you know, you 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 have to marry the brother if if your husband dies. Something like that. So, yeah. uh, so I mean, saying, I mean, come on, Brian, you're having a great time here. You know, you're firing off rounds. At some Brian, point, you got you, you got to fit in that pesky funeral for your wife. But <laughs> other than that, you're just you're just kicking clothes back. already fit, gentlemen. <laughs> I see the trap you're laying, and I choose to walk right on past. <laughs> and I will say, uh, let's face it, that's not really an issue because Bonnie doesn't have a sister. So there. Well, this is no, the not a sister, it's a clone, Brian. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, she's, dead. It, like, it's, and it's, she's dead, saving the world. It may, I, I, know, like, I like Brian's new default answer here to the weird. Oh, no, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think yeah, you I'm missed sorry. the point of the whole podcast. Brian. I know. No, no. Aliens, it's not possible. All right. Next, <laughs> next, next week. We don't know what the future. Okay. Is. All here's right, what. Pass. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I'm trying to say. I did not marry a set of DNA. I did not fall in love with A G T C T C P. There's no P. What is it? It's G A T C, right? Only if you want it. Right. I didn't marry I didn't marry a DNA sequence. It's it's I married a person who is a combination of what she was born with and how she was developed as a person. No idea whether or not a clone could could be as enchanting as the original. I'm or, saying the clone is just as enchanting. Okay, well, I mean, what do you want me to say, Andrew? No, oh, she's all right, enchanting all right, and right, perfect. Andrew, and- Andrew, Andrew, listen. Let me let me ask a question. All right, Brian. Uh, obviously, 
you're not going to share the same very unique bond that you have with Bonnie. But would you hit it one time? Oh, my God. One time, I'm asking. I mean, is it even cheating? Because she's technically she's the dead. same person. No, she's dead. And she's the same person. All right, so let me flip it around. Uh, because we have that with twins, right? Genetically identical twins. If you're married to a twin and the other twin is single you're or doing whatever You're allowed to hit it. Is, is that the law in Florida? Yeah. yeah. Well, anywhere. Really. Okay, so you're legally allowed to hit it. All right, here's what I want to know. Tell me this is a true story and it actually just happened. Yes, Brian. It absolutely happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, the, uh, the, the, the truth... That's a yes. We, we yeah. agree that's a yes, right, yeah, Brian? It, it's a, uh, yeah, it depends. It, look, if you're going to presuppose that we fall in love, then sure, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, all right, no, no, all right, no. all right. Now that we've established that, all right, scenario two. <laughs> On the other line, I have your wife right now. <laughs> With divorce papers. Yeah. <laughs> they can make, like, a, there's a a premise that I loved in some science fiction books I've read where basically it's the idea of a fax. Like, it's this big, huge, large monolith thing you put in your house, and everybody has one of these, and they're at all these locations. You walk into it, and you instantly teleport to wherever you want to go. And the way that it works is you don't actually teleport. It just makes a hard copy of you somewhere else. And so you walk into this thing. It basically stores you in sort of stasis. And the copy of you walks out in some other place, does whatever you want to do, then it walks back into that other fax, then you walk back through the one in your house. Okay? I'm down with that. All right, sounds cool. So it's like it's not really you, but it's enough of you. But the thing, the but cool thing about you get the, the memories, like like when you pop mm-hmm. out of your own, yeah, yeah, I'm it rearranges your brain, whatever. Okay. Now the thing, what's cool about this premise is, let's say, uh, you know, normal Brian just leaves through the front door and decides he's going to go, you know, kite surfing and gets in this horrific accident where a great white shark leaps in the air and bites him. I think what you meant to say was valiantly saves the earth, but yeah, the, no, yeah, no, no, right the body you, gets to do that. No, okay. you, you and your own reckless foolishness die by your own hand. <laughs> okay. So, exactly. so anyhow, but now try, we're try, get... trying to hang 10 for some 18 year old eaten by a shark, trying to impress some young female clone on the beach. So <laughs> we go to your, we go to your fax machine in your house and we pop a, we pop the last save version of you out of it. Yeah, I'm down with that too. Okay, now obviously, you know, it's not technically the, literally the same matter as you, but to us it's going to be Brian. We'll have fun hanging out, and, you know, you'll have that angsty, am I really him, whatever kind of thing, but that'll get really I was about old, to say, really that's got to be, you got to sign up for a little bit of psychological counseling for a yeah. while after that. But I think it's like, you know, we, we'll probably eventually reach a time culturally where we're like, all right, whatever, who cares, you know? So. Would you, uh, you know, your 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 imaginary wife valiantly saves the world, and we pop out a fax copy? Oh, would I would I bang the backup? Well, I was going to say, would you love her? But <laughs> <laughs> but bang, bang the backup is that the title of the episode now? Um, yeah. Hold on. Uh, By the way, I would love to see I Justine hawk this. Uh, <laughs> like know, like and, selling and it CNN. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, it'd be the new version of Mosey. Like yeah. back up your back up your loved ones. You know what? I this is dark. Never Just mind. Say it. Say uh, it. Say no, it. Bang, yeah. You, you would bang the shit out of Mosey body. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> you, oh, I'd make two. You know. Yeah. Well, that's exactly where I was headed. Actually, if if you could pop out a backup, it's like why not have two backups? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Son. I mean, I'm just saying, if it's if it's the same, because let me tell Ain't you, nothing it's, but a mosey party. <laughs> it's it's uh, 
it's kind of all bets are off. Once it become culturally acceptable to to <laughs> walk into a microwave and have yourself in stasis while a remote version of you lives more of your life. I mean, where does that end? Then you got like cyborg overlords and singularity, my friend. I know it's going to be dark and weird and awesome and frightening. Do you, know do you, the- do you really think it's going to happen, though? Are you I mean, you truly believe that that we're going to hit that point? Yep, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. And and for the reason, you know, when the time is and all that, you know, Kurzweil's prediction of when these sort of things become possible are obviously very optimistic in some regards. But then again, numbers match up. But let's just assume that there are some complications we don't think of or whatever, and it takes 100 years to get to that point. In I many ways— 100 years is crazy optimistic. I think I, it's— I, 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 I think I thought that, too, until I started just getting into the details of it. Well, and yeah, it, it, the, the whole vacuum tubes thing, Andrew, that's— that's a really, really good point that you like to bring up. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the points is that, you know, part of the problem is you talk to people who right now who are kind of skeptical, and we need to be. We need to be skeptical of these ideas, but we still need to investigate. They say, hey, well— Hey, guys, you- I got to put this on pause. Uh, Teller's on the phone. I, oh. I, I'll be right back. I just, uh, Sorry for running off on that. That's not how I like to roll. Mm-hmm. Are you done? <laughs> God damn That's it. great. So you actually believe the singularity is going to happen? Yeah, I think we're going to see some form of it. Um, I think the thing that's very compelling to me is the more I look at it, the more sense it tends to make. And I know that sounds crazy. And again, I think it's, like I said, be skeptical, but look into it. You know, great example is that Kurzweil talks about how we, we only understand what we know. And when we try to look forward, you know, knowing only what we know now, it's hard. You know, as, as a, a great politician once talked about, there's known knowns and known unknowns. Right. So, which actually makes sense in a strange way. When we had the vacuum tube, vacuum tube was this pretty cool, innovative piece of technology because it could actually store information digitally in, in its own analog weirdo sort of way. And up until then, you know, you could you could write things on paper. You could put things on a wax cylinder. You could take photographs, but this idea of this rewritable thing that can store different kinds of information was really an amazing concept. And so we have this vacuum tube and we're like, wow, now we have this sort of electronic analog to how everything else works in, in the rest of the world for storing information, but it's, it's superior or whatever. But people looked at the vacuum tube and they're like, well, that's great, but you know, we're only going to be able to store so much information electronically because you can only make a vacuum tube so small. And there are people that looked down, looked and figured out what was the smallest amount of area that you could have a vacuum and you could have the same function. They figured out like the lower limit for vacuum tubes and like, well, that's, that's going to be the limit for storing information. You know, that small limit for, you know, the smallest we can make a vacuum tube, you know, maybe the, maybe the size of a, you know, end of a pencil. Right. All right. Well, somebody said, you know, maybe, but why not use something else? And, the something else is always, well, what? And it turns out silicon, a semiconductor, which had been written about since like the 1920s, and there had been, uh, I think, you know, even patents applied for the use of it as a semiconductor. Somebody came along and figured out, well, what if we made a transistor, which happened like, no, it was Shockley and et al. in like 1950. So all of a sudden we have this thing called the transistor. First transistor was kind of big, wasn't bigger than maybe the smallest vacuum tube you would have, but it could get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the transistor was a radically new form of technology. But, you know, people are like, well, we can only make a transistor so small. And then somebody said, well, what if we just print them on a sheet of silicon? And then, boom, we just get this humongous order of magnitude and things get smaller and smaller. And so now we're still using microchips printed on, you know, we're still using silicon and microchips. And we chart, we think, well, how fast can computers go and all that? Well, there's this upper limit. We can only make silicon so much smaller. And then it's kind of, that's going to be it, which, 
looking back at history, we know, no, that's not the case. We know that these things will get even smaller. And now we have experimental research in quantum technologies and other areas that just make you go, wow, you know, this will keep going. Absolutely, there are physical limits to the universe, but they far exceed our imagination up until this point. And when you start applying this computational power to problem solving, all this sort of stuff, you reach this point, which will probably happen sooner than we expect, so later than what other people may want, where all these sort of crazy things we talk about, like, you know, human fax machines and things like that become possible because you have massive computers that can figure out all the engineering problems. Okay. Now, what's interesting is, is what you described as sort of a reverse analog for my position that we're not going to see the singularity anytime soon. Because if you look at the entity of consciousness in, in, in research, like basically what, the 1940s, 1950s, mm-hmm. they looked at the brain. They're like, yeah, we'll have this lick. We'll have a computer that does the same thing in no time. Artificial intelligent research gets started. By the, the 70s, they're saying, eh, a few years out, we'll have it done. By the 80s, you know, eh, a few more years, we'll have it done. And the, more, the closer we get to looking at and understanding the way the conscious mind works, the more unfathomably complex we begin to realize it is. And in fact, like it's so much so that it was a revolution in the 90s when when Rodney Brooks was like, you know what? Let's just try to make a cockroach. Let's just see if we can do that. And we, and we keep backing away as we begin to realize. And it, I wonder if it's almost like at the same rate as, as the technology progresses, we begin to dis- d- discover how unbelievably complex the brain is. And I just don't know that a that hundred years, I mean, in the same well, length well, of time. Well, well, well Brian... From, Go ahead. I'm going to answer your question. The artificial intelligence made a lot of assumptions based upon one particular view on how the brain worked. And they made some very ambitious things that were not based on any kind of progression from looking at current levels of technology or whatever. And, and they made some ridiculous assumptions about where they were going to be when they couldn't even solve basic problems. And that's a problem. Just recently, uh, we just covered some weird things. MIT has decided, you know, they're basically going to throw out the book on what we think about artificial intelligence and set new goals. But while we talk about how far out that's been, you know, I've got an application, Justin has it, maybe you have it on your iPhone, where you can talk to it and it will know what you're saying. You know, you have this, you have this free application from, you know, Dragon Dictate that runs on a, runs on a little handheld, obviously it actually goes to a server and does it, but com- computers can understand human speech remarkably well without any kind of training. So right. that's one big problem. That was a big problem that even 10, 15 years ago, our answers to that were very laughable. Image recognition is now at this point where, and we didn't we didn't appreciate how complicated those things were, like voice recognition and image recognition, because there are people who are making these very ambitious statements, but not based upon any kind of logical projection. It was based upon their their assumed understanding of how the brain works. Right, and and I see where you're coming from. You're saying we're making leaps and bounds in artificial intelligence, and pretty soon we'll be able to pass the Turing test, which is basically you can interact with a computer and not realize whether or not it's a computer <laughs> or a human being. Right. Well, actually, one of the the MIT group has suggested is we throw out the Turing test as a sign of artificial intelligence because the Turing test, because the the people sort of missed the point on, you know, Alan Turing came with the Turing test and it was more of a philosophical point. It wasn't meant to be a technological benchmark. The idea behind the Turing test is that we don't know what what a soul is or what a spirit is or right. what okay, sentience no, yeah, really but you're is. getting into souls and spirits like his but but the point of the turing test is if we want to put robots to work for us if we want them to become functional slave workers of of america or of the of the world 
uh, then they have to pass the Turing test. If we have to have a conversation with them at the McDonald's and we explain what our order is, they have to get it right, and we have to be well, able to argue with them if they screw it up, et cetera. Let me, let me, let me finish, though. I mean, his point more towards was, wasn't so much from the functional point of view, but it was, getting, it was trying to solve the sort of the sophistry problem of it. Well, is it alive or is it isn't? His point was, if you can't tell, then you just have to assume that it is. You know, because I have no better insight what's going on to your head than you have what's going into my head. And if you have some functional machine that you put it behind a wall and you talk to it on a teletype and you can't tell if it's a human or not, right. you've reached this critical point. And that's and, really and, all he was trying to say about right, that. Exactly. And you're and, and what I'm assuming you're getting at is that is an effective test for a functional object to simulate a human, but mm-hmm. it's totally useless. It, it may as not cure cancer. You know, that, that and we we might have a machine that can cure cancer well long, you know, before we have something that convincingly passes the Turing test. Right, but but uh, of course none of that matters if your goal is to be able to back up a human consciousness and mm-hmm. put it into a different body, which is well, one of the aspects of the singularity. Well, yeah, and but point, you know, that Kurzweil makes about that is that one of the, he, he starts p- mapping all the different things that follow this fascinating sort of progression, this this, you know, this it's not a linear acceleration, it's an exponential acceleration. One of those areas is brain mapping. Every 18 months to 24 months, we double the resolution at which we can map the human brain. There's a point you can plot on a graph where basically you will know what every molecule is doing in a brain. When you can map that, when you can say, listen, at 2026, following this progression that's held true for the last 60 years, we can map the position of every molecule in a brain, and we have computational power that can replicate that in a computer system, then it would seem reasonable to assume that we can create a functioning model of a brain in a computer but but the problem is is for example we we thought we would hit the same milestone when we mapped the human genome and we're at the point now where we've mapped the genome we know all the different positions of every little molecule are built into the dna but now we're just now saying okay now let's go through one at a time and flip these switches and see what happens but but brian the problem the difference is that that's the the difference there is we can knowing what the position is and having the computational power. That's the second part. Now the biggest problem right now is that you know how do you you know how do you extrapolate what the human genome project does? That's why we've got the whole you know the whole protein project because proteomics, fig, yeah, exactly figuring out these things. You take what these are relatively simple structures on their own and trying to figure out how they function. It takes a massive amounts of computer power. Now when the human genome project started, do you know halfway into it they only mapped one percent of the human genome? Wow, halfway just to get the first halfway, one percent, and everybody said this project's a failure. They said this is a failure, and the scientists did it. No, no, this is the way it's supposed to be because we're we're developing this technology exponentially. So they actually finished on time and a little bit ahead of schedule because it took them, you know, to get to the first half of you know first one percent, it took them half, but to get to the you know to two percent, it took them you know three weeks later, then four weeks, then right. boom, it, it, it makes me think of uh, the Robert A. Heinlein quote about once you get out of Earth's gravity, you're halfway to anywhere in the yeah, universe. Exactly. So that's that's part of what the whole thing of you know the exponential growth implies. So again, I'm 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 with you. These things are wild. This is the most crazy thing that's ever been trying to, by credible people have ever been trying to pass on to other credible people, and it's the sort of thing that deserves skepticism but healthy skepticism and actually looking into it because it's as i got into it, it's amazing how many of these arguments have answered they've looked into and they've responded to and and you know we have the problem of like you know fusion and you know scams like the flying car scam and all this other stuff but these are those are people are saying well we think but they if you ask them why do you think this they had no reason where kurzweil saying look at this graph look at this graph look at this graph where do these points meet and it's you know, it actually meets in a time that we may see in our own lifetimes where you have this amazing potential. 
So do you, do you think, and you've dealt with a lot of other people who are into this and, mm-hmm. and I haven't, you're, you're my bridge to, to crazy land. Uh, do, do you think, I mean, no, no offense, no offense, uh, but or fringe stuff. Let's, let's mm-hmm. put it that way to the bridge to the fringe. Like does it, it sounds to me, and maybe I just haven't seen enough of the crazy graphs to draw my own conclusion. It sounds a little bit kind of like a, a leap of faith, like an article of, of faith that everybody's taking this on. No. And, and, and my reason, no, I mean, it, it, it's a result of progress that, you know, we, there is exponential growth in various uh, fields of science and specifically in terms of the computational power. It, it, but you know, it, if you watch and really a lot of this, I mean, is in, in, in the Kurzweil Ted talk, but here's why I say an article of faith, because it's not like we could take a vote and make the singularity happen or not happen. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk about whether or not you believe it'll happen. And it's like that, that, that always concerns me because, because it's like people ask if I believe in ESP, it's like, it doesn't matter what I believe it either exists or it doesn't. And likewise but, with the singularity, did, 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 was there a point where we believe that we could transplant organs? And uh, you know, another analogy is like, do you believe in Moore's law? So, oh, that's interesting. So you're saying you're saying belief is important in that it determines future causal actions. No, no, I'm I'm just saying like, do you, I'm gonna ask you, do you how would I say you know do I say do you accept or do you believe you know more easy to say do you believe no, in, no, I mean do you, do you yeah, believe Moore's, Moore's law, law? Moore's law is a goal setting program that has been constantly met in processors. Now, separately on hard drives. They've decided to skip Moore's law, and they made up their own law that's twice as strong. Uh, mm-hmm. Hard drive capacity quadruples every eighteen months, as opposed to doubles every eighteen months under Moore's law. Yeah, well, so, Moore's law and Moore's law was not a prediction; it was an observation. Right, and correct, that, and and it, and it became sort of a mantra that that essentially mm-hmm. became a goal setting exercise yeah. that everybody likes to hold themselves to. And yeah. so, likewise, maybe the singularity is a is a goal setting exercise where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, before we mm-hmm. all die. Let's be able to download and, her brains. But also the thing with the hard drive thing too, and, and Moore's law to the extent is these things, you know, from year to year, they look very static. I mean, they look very erratic and, and you might go 18 months, you might go 30 months and there hasn't been a radical development and people go, oh, it's over. And then six months later, some guy at MIT figures out how to quadruple it and all of a sudden you're back on course. And that's one of the things that's fascinating about Kurzweil saying when he shows you this graph, you see these sort of jaggedy lines. Oh, pardon me, I'm emotionally overcome. Here. Uh, you see these <laughs> little verklempt, a little verklempt, a little hiccup. <laughs> the lines are so jagged. You see these lines, and then you look over time, and he shows how these things. Because Moore's law was an observation. It turned out it had been applied earlier to other things. And there's, I can, there's, there's data that talks about how we use carbon, carbon fuels, etc., and how it applies in a lot of different places. And going back throughout time, hundred years back, you can find the sort of relationship. So, uh. You know, it's this, when you go and you look at where the points converge and you say, you know, you look at like human life expectancy. Every year we add another day or two days to human life expectancy. And for the last 30 or 40 years, we keep adding, we add more, add more time, add more hours every year. And that's, it continued to move. If you look at like cancer statistics, all that, our ability to fight these diseases and what happens there's a point when you don't just start adding days, you start adding weeks, and then you start adding months, and then you start adding 11 months to human life expectancy, and then you reach this point where you pass the year mark, where you can add 13 months of life for every year you live. But but isn't it true that our greatest gains are in infor- infant mortality? Um. It, I mean, like if you save one, if you save one kid from polio, that's your, you know, that's 80 years you're tacking on. 
that that significantly alters the overall average. I mean, if they, they when they do the statistic and they look at it from like you know people who reached eighteen years old and then going forward, we we're adding the the biggest gains now aren't from infant mortality; they're from our ability to fight things like cancer and whatnot. I mean, AIDS is not a death sentence. You know, it took us something like twelve years to sequence the AIDS virus. It took us twelve weeks to sequence the SARS virus. Take yeah. that, SARS. So, I mean, you have to bring a bigger game next time. Well, I mean, that's no, just, that's SARS just didn't it. even get an easy E or a Freddie Mercury when, on its record when you before st- it went down like a sucker. <laughs> when you start talking to people who 10 years ago were afraid of about major epidemics and all that, and you ask some of them now, are you worried about this 10 years from? They're like, no, because the rate at which we're accelerating our ability to fight these things, you know, our ability to, you know, to read the, you know, look at the DNA or the RNA and figure out what makes these things work and find something that is just radically, radically improved. It reminds yep. me of the uh, Microsoft philosophy. It's like, go ahead and write ridiculously bloated code. It doesn't matter because processors, by the time this ships, processors yeah. will be fast enough to handle it. And <laughs> certainly didn't bite them in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> From a reputation standpoint? No, not at all. Uh, yeah. Um, or having to hurry up Windows 7. Uh, but anyhow, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So we have these, te- and it's, it's very exciting when you look at these areas of technology. Of course, they bring with them their own potential frightening things. You know, that ability to, you know, radically decode DNA also means the ability for somebody with minimal post-grad experience to create their own virus and their own things. And, you know, we, you know, we might get into a, you know, Cold War where terrorism is basically trying to fight off, you know, anti-terrorism is trying to fight off people trying to create bioweapons and stuff. And, you know, it's these, these things, it's not all Pollyanna. You know, there's, there, it's not just this, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. It's the future's a fascinating and frightening place. All right. Well, back to the important issue of clone boning. Mm-hmm. I want to know, so, so we talked about the issue, like if you got a backup, you know, uh-huh. an in-stasis object and you flip the switch and all of a sudden the backup pops out of the microwave, what is the cultural, what happens to society, to somebody who goes back and hits repeat and, and, and zaps out another copy of somebody who is in stasis? Like, it, it almost seems like that would be, kind of be a crime and that, you, you know, once you create this other person, you know, you don't step out of the microwave and they say, oh... Oopsie, we hit you twice, so we're going to mm-hmm. kill you now because we don't want two copies of you running around. Like, um, I, 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 Brian, I, I think that you know the best answer to that is look at for parallels right now, and look at multiple births. You have this, you know, husband and wife they go in there, they're having trouble having children, and the doctor gives them, you know, some treatment for this, and they have twelve kids. You know, and well, actually, if you if you want to be like you know with IVF, they go ahead and they create like eight viable embryos yeah. and then they 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 don't actually kill the other ones but they just sort of leave them in the freezer till i, I don't know i guess eventually they dispose of them well that I, I think easily the best solution for this is in the prestige uh, <laughs> 99 dead corpses floating right. in the river i'm just saying i'm just saying well but in in all seriousness we have this sort of we have this legal threshold at which we decide which something's alive or when it's not Periodically, we have questions. You know, that's why there's a debate over abortion. That's why Terry Schiavo became such a debate. But if you have someone who says, hey, uh, I'm alive, you know, I don't, I don't see us. We, we always sort of imagine people in the future being less moral than more moral than we are. But if you look at it historically, we're actually much more moral than we were before, which for many yes. people is and, – and you you understand this. Oh, but, I totally believe it. And, and I've gotten into arguments with, you know – Historians, I mean, I, I, obviously, Brian, you believe it. You have your hair like as if you lived in the future. That's right. I can't wait till I get more moral in the future. 
But, uh, you know, great book uh, for our listeners out there is The Origin of Virtue by Matt Ridley. And Ridley talks about this. Steven Pinker talks about this. You look at the actual number of people killed by homicide, warfare, all that. It is even even the 20th century. It has declined from where it was before. And I would we we should do a weird things book club. Yeah. Well, origin, <laughs> I mean, I would like to do a weird things on on and I'm glad you brought that up because so few people it's so it's so easy and popular to say how things are getting worse, but literally by just about every metric we have available to us today, by every measure, everything mm-hmm. is getting better and continues to get better. We have more leisure time than we ever had. Mm-hmm. We live longer, healthier, happier lives than we ever have before and and more virtuous lives. I hadn't actually heard that one before, but that's amazing. Well, when you look at, you know, they look at it, you know, from an archaeological point of view, and they look, at, they start looking at records of how many, you know, how many people died from warfare, how many people died from Neolithic times, what have you. You know, New Guinea, modern day. You know, you have people there living a Paleolithic lifestyle. It's dangerous. I mean, the number of males that die in, you know, violence, you know, exceeds what happens in the inner city, which seems like hard to believe. And you know, they have their own rituals and all that, and people have this very romantic idea of what it was like. And there are times when it goes backwards a little bit, but overall, again, it's that graph where it's jaggy. But overall, we're way we're way more than we were before. And people go, "Oh, that's not true." You know, I live in a city and all that. Well, cities were always dangerous places. You know, anytime you have a bunch of random strangers living next to each other, the likelihood your car is going to get broken into or something's going to be stolen from you increases. You read newspaper accounts of what London was like in 1792. Oh, freaking horrific. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, we talk and part of it is like they didn't have crime statistics, you know, and you you start reading an account. Somebody stole all the pencils. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The hyped pencils were iPods of the day. You have, you know, the... The the statistics on this stuff, you know, hard to find, but then you start reading about actual murder rates and graves and stuff like that. You know, people who were below a certain, you know, class, these things weren't reported. And this is true in the United States, Boston, other places. You read, you know, the movie Gangs of New York. That's, in fact, I'm glad you said that because uh, a friend of mine read the book and he said that the biggest disparity between the book and the movie was that way too many people had their faces intact. And he talks yeah. about how in the book people would fish hook. They would that was the most one of the most common weapons where they would just jab up the side of their cheek and it would tear off half their cheek. Yeah. And people would just go around looking half zombied for the rest of their days. Yeah, I have the book. It's it reads like just like an almanac of just violence. Oh <laughs> my god. And then Seamus got his face ripped off. Literally. The next day, that's Seamus's brother got his face ripped off. Literally, literally, I'll I'll read from it next time. Well, and and he was saying like like they live and they showed it real briefly in the movie. This kind of this kind of like beehive looking set up in the building that so many people lived in, and apparently like literally there's no plumbing, no anything, so people just live in their filth. And oh, I can't even fathom what that was like. Oh yeah, and that's yeah, that's New York City. (laughs) So, anyhow. When we start thinking about the future, for some reason, we tend to think they're going to be less moral than we are. But the trend is that they're more moral than we are. So how would we handle like questions you ask about if we created these? I think that, you know, we're going to put a lot of thought into that. And I think you're going to, if you create a clone of yourself, you know, the rule is probably going to be, well, it gets half of your assets, Brian. Oh, my God. So, I, in fact, what I if I was writing a novel, if I knew how to write a novel, if I knew how to write, mm-hmm. if I knew how to read, <laughs> I would put together a, uh, a story in the future where at some point somebody flies off the handle with this technology and takes, you know, maybe some girl he's in love with and she's 20 years old or whatever. And he just keeps hitting repeat. And all of a sudden he's got 150 copies of this chick. Like, what does that do to society to have all of a sudden 150 new beings that just suddenly Bangable? pop out? Bang, well, bang, bang, bang. well, first, you know, you'd probably we'd probably come to the decision that, you know, she's the only person that has the right 
to make a copy of herself. So would that be a crime? Would that be a crime in the future of, of creating copy. a copy? Sure. Yeah. yeah. People absolutely. piracy. You're you a know. people pirate. And that's the thing. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a difference between somebody trying to get your DNA, which great, you can you know grow a copy of you physically, but the actually getting the copy of you if you have backup stored somewhere. And you know that's going to take identity theft to a whole new level. Wow. No. So you just blew yeah. my brain. But, but that's part the of the go. The, 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 the light splatter you may have heard on this podcast is but, Brian's brain. But, but you know, Brian, floor. I think in some ways we're already heading in that direction. I think, think about Justin, okay? okay yeah, As far as me. the world <laughs> For once in the podcast. We have, we have the technology right now where you or I could sit in front of a computer. No, we life. could sit in front of a computer. It could actually in real time map our face to look like Justin's face, which let's admit it is very cartoony and 8-bit to begin with. Could modulate our voice yes. to come up with a reasonable facsimile of his voice? And then people are like, oh, we're not. I know people go, oh, we're sure. not there. Trust me, we're there. Okay. No, it's not some program you're running on, you know. I've yeah. been dead for so eight we months. Could, we could theoretically kill Justin and take turns. This is where, this is just, Justin says, listen, yeah. Andrew, I don't think that's yeah. a good idea <laughs> on <Eject>. this subject. <laughs> listen, uh, you know, as, 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 President Obama is my witness. <laughs> I really uh, I don't think this is uh, fair to talk about. So, point being, you yeah. know, we can we could do that digitally right now. And I mean, if I grab your amazing. iPhone, Brian, and I just started texting your friends and controlling your Facebook account, I'm going to control probably sixty percent of your reputation. Maybe fifty. Uh, yes, yes, because that is where everyone right, so, knows me. How, how close? I mean, that the digital world is already bringing us so close to that point. The fact that we're able to make the meet to close the gap, you know, is important, but it's not as big of a deal. See, that's what I. And by the way, it seems to me like the the singularity. I I don't know. In my perception, I'm on the outside. I haven't done near as much reading as as you. Which is have, apparent. But it seems to me like, <laughs> God damn it! It seems to be like the tend will be to go virtual with just about everyone, everything. Cause, cause building physical stuff is problematic. It breaks down. If we have the ability to back up a brain, uh, it's matrix time uh -huh. instantly, because I mean, just look at, I mean, we're already racing towards that as fast as we can right now. 10 million people on world of Warcraft, a very crude mm -hmm. avatar manual dexterity based system. If we could get something that was perfect resolution, that brought. Nah, I, I disagree. The real money is always going to be in the physical form. There's always going to be a worth in. Not in once you can't tell humanity. the difference. Not once you can't tell. I, I don't know, guys. I, I think know. we're not going to be. I think that we're going to be. It's going to be. Reality is going to be so blended. It's not going to make that big of a difference. You know, right now the three of us are carrying on a conversation through the internet, and. Yes. What? Well, except for the time that Brian had to take yeah, a phone there call that. from there Teller. That. Yes. Then we, no. then we weren't doing See, that. that's the physical yeah, right. interrupting the virtual. And I would like to point out that was a virtual instance interrupting my physical existence on another virtual existence. Yeah. Which was more important. So my point being, other than that, <laughs> yeah. that rude interruption, that thoughtless, thoughtless. unkind interruption, we, yes. we... I blame Teller. How much is he going to tell? Hi, Teller. Hello? Our, you know, so we don't, we don't sit there and we don't really, we don't put this, we don't categorize this as a virtual experience. You know, we, we could all, we'd all be, so well, yeah, technically it could be, but you don't sit around, we talk on the phone and we've been talking on the phones for a hundred years and we've never put that into, but, that's the virtual world. 
that's a hell of a thing to point out. And especially nowadays with the with the ease mm. of video conferencing, literally, it's occurring to me that in my entire lifetime, as long as I've known both of you guys put together, I've only met each of you mm-hmm. twice in physical oh, but what existence. What time it was, Brian? Oh no, they they were special <laughs> times all the now, way around. Now, did you see uh, Marco Tempest's video that he uh, Marco Tempest the magician uploaded a video, and we we have it on iTricks where he took a video projector and he has this white panel, and what he does is the the video projector projects onto the white panel whatever he wants. So he's standing in like you know in front of a subway station or whatever, and he moves the white panel around, and the image on it adjusts to whatever he wants it to be. Okay, so basically. So it, it's phenomenal. great. And, you know, what he did is he actually used like a, a, P, a PSP camera with there and it's got infrared lights behind it and all that. But the implication for that is this, is that if you look at the cost now, a proje- you can buy you can buy a projection TV, a basic projection TV for 80 bucks or 70 bucks in the toy section. OK, it's not good, but it's a, it's a video projector. OK, it's 70 bucks. You can buy a, a video projector for 70 bucks, which 20 years ago was a five thousand dollar device. 30 years ago, right. didn't exist in a digital form. Okay, now it's in toy stores. And that's because that's how cheap it is, and that's how they're trying to find applications for it. At the high end, these chips are getting better and better and better and better. Eventually, you're going to probably put in your house, in your light fixture, you're going to put a digital projector that will project onto any surface. You'll put multiples of these so you don't cast shadows. Okay, it'll get so cheap, you'll just, it'll be so cheap, you won't even think about doing it. So every surface in your house can be a screen. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to start projecting, you know, YouTube videos onto all of it, but you can put a, yeah, you could, you can put a light switch anywhere you want because the thing can see as well as project. You can put a thermostat wherever you want. When you want to have a conversation with somebody, that video can be on whatever wall. You can have your wall, you can make your house look like the Versailles, okay? We could have this conversation right now, and I could be looking at the wall in front of me, and that could actually open up into your room, Brian, and the room, the wall to the side of me. And that could replace all of your bodies with oh my hot God. naked ladies. Well, that's ladies. the other thing is not only can we can we connect our realities, and that's what a telephone does is it doesn't really virtualize it; it connects it. It connects our realities. You know, we're able to have this audio reality connected. So now you're at a point where you have this virtual technology that allows us to connect all of our realities. So Austin, Texas, and you know, Dog Alley, South Florida, where Justin's broadcasting from. You know, our, that's <laughs> home, right, our, sweet home. you know, literally feel like the next room and, you know, sh- but I think we're already mm-hmm. there. We're already experiencing. No, we are. Yeah, right. We absolutely are. And, and literally, we're, we're right. I, I, I'm there. totally with you. I, and I'm saying, and that's just a logical, that's just a logical extension where we are. Like I said, because the, you know, the, the next step is literally the vi- to make, I mean, right now we can pop up the video screens, you know, we can look at each other, which, you know, exciting. And that only gets better and better. And as we get to that, we're so used to these virtual or these connected realities that then, like you pointed out, you know, at that point, if I'm like, oh man, my hair's messy, let me just press this little button here. And now my hair looks fine. See, the virtual, way right. easier. That's because you could do that with the gut. You're like, my gut's a little bit too big. Yeah, Press the absolutely. button. And meanwhile, the real world technologies to make that possible happen too. And, you know, you know, we'll carry on co- conversations with Justin and he doesn't realize that we've, you know, made him into camel boy or something. <laughs> Who's camel, I don't know. camel boy? Imagine like birds your face with Joe the camel. You're, you're a boy. Cam- you're a boy camel who- boy sounds like something I'd be horrified to read the definition of on <laughs> Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Turns out it's just a kid yeah. who smokes a lot of camels. Sure, all right. I'm Camel Boy. Oh, you there. We're to the Camel Boy district. <laughs> I believe in the uh, that 
the, uh, the in the pseudo singularity. Before we reach the actual singularity, we're going to get to a point where all this technology that we have that we can just linear project will get so weird and strange and bizarre that by the time the real singularity happens, we'll be like, oh yeah, that too. No, yeah, I agree with that 100%. And in fact, I'm going to say that hitting the first will keep us from even caring about moving forward. Well, on the ha- I think the second will happen, but we just won't, it, you know, it's like the internet, you know. When the internet was started in the 90s, first started becoming the World Wide Web, I mean, obviously ARPANET was around way before, but when the internet became a common household term, and, you know, people kind of had this idea that it was a thing like a fax machine. You could kind of either opt in or opt out of it, and it was just going to happen. Now, that whole idea seems ludicrous. And but looking forward, it's like, well, let's see this now. You know, we look at it like, oh, you know, it's it's everybody, you know, forget about email. Everybody talks about Facebook, you know. Have you met anyone recently, like in the last six months who like, oh, I don't really. Oh, who who wasn't like a million years old? uh, No, no, no. I mean, at all, period. Like like even somebody a million years old. Like I think the last time literally I encountered a human being that didn't do the Internet was 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 over six months ago. (laughs) <laughs> he hasn't done the internet. I actually met a homeless guy and I yelled at him for having that exact statement. Oh, I, I live on the street. I don't have money for the internet. What are you, retarded old man? Come on. What's your email? My email is hobo at hobonet.org. <laughs> at hobojunction.edu. We educate about the hobo way. <laughs> and he plays he plays Farmville and he cooks out of his virtual <laughs> beans. <laughs> I want to play it's virtual around hobo with a piece on of the string. Internet. Where can I plug this in? Oh well, Brian, you don't play Hobo Wars? <laughs> no, I don't yeah. play Hobo Wars. <laughs> Boxcar Charlie was assassinated by At Schwood. Dude, we should totally do that. We'll start. Well, did, hobo did you Wars. ever, Brian? Hobo did you Wars. ever, when you were in school, ever do any like turn-based games where you actually had like like I had friends that would do this thing? Like each day, they'd hand you a slip of paper and you'd write down what you were gonna do. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, well, if you think about it, that's yeah. chess. I mean, I play chess by email. No, no, still but I mean, like actual printed paper and all that, you know, and. <laughs> Where it's like you 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 physically mail your dungeon master, and so it's like he says you're yeah. standing in a meadow. There are paths to the north, east, and west. And you get that letter, you open it up, and you just write, you scrawl yeah. the letter N, and you stuff Basically, it back in the yeah, envelope and that. hand it back. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a courier who's wearing bagged pants. Bagged pants. So bagged I, I, pants. I let's <laughs> let's take this in a different direction here. Let's let's. I'm gonna fly. I have a couple questions yes. here. And I'm gonna float. Oh, are, are, are we done with this week in singularity yes, with Brian and Andrew? Oh we're we're going to flow this into the next question. Brian? We're going to, by the time Justin gets his hand on this, it'll be like, the thing about the singularity is it's awesome. And that's it for this <laughs> week in singularity. <laughs> yes. You're sitting there after you get off talking to us and done talking to your buddy Teller. Yes. Helicopter lands in your backyard. What? And helicopter lands in your backyard. All right. Guy comes out in a suit. Says, Mr. Brushwood, would you get on the helicopter, please? Is he wearing sunglasses? Of course. It's night, though. Okay. But he's wearing sunglasses. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. It's night, which kind of yeah. weirded me out. Okay, yeah. So you get on the helicopter. You're like, all right, see where this thing goes. Get on the helicopter. Helicopter flies away. Flies over Austin into like the really, really Tony district there. Tony means fancy, Justin. And you see this palatial estate. Not not Anthony. Yeah, you see this palatial estate, right? Wow. Right in my own town? Yeah. 
Didn't know. Okay. Didn't know. Helicopter lands, front lawn. You're escorted inside into this huge mansion, humongous mansion. Okay. Through the big foyer, hallways, past fancy works of art, and says, All right, he'll be with you in a moment. You're like, He? He'll be with me? Like, yes, he will be with you in a moment. All right. In walks Howard Hughes. Well, forget the moment that it's Howard Hughes. Doesn't matter. Not relevant. We'll just say it's Howard Hughes and he's still alive. It's freaking robotic. Okay. Robo Hughes. Comes over there. Looks just like Leonardo DiCaprio, too, which is really weird. Okay. Slaps you on the he's knee. Ca- carrying a jar of his own urine. That's right. Gives you one. Makes you drink it. <laughs> like, drink it. Tells, calls it horse pop. All right. Got it. So you drink your go. horse pop. No, he, he, actually, he actually hands you the jar and it's signed. And he just looks at you and goes, shh. <sighs> Like, you know, don't tell anybody. That's just for you. Brian, like, uh, I've been listening to your your computer telly show. <laughs> I like you. I like your ideas. I've decided I'm going to ask you a question. Big, huge brief. And he says, would you bone a clone of your wife? <laughs> and I realize it's Andrew Maine. He's like, I already did of your wife. And you're like, wow, awkward. Pushes in a briefcase. And I say it's a briefcase. It actually looks like a briefcase, but it's much larger than a briefcase because it's impossible to fit this money in there. He says, Brian, there is a billion dollars in that briefcase. Oh, my God. That is a hell of a briefcase. But he it says, it's, 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 I know, and I had to have a special briefcase made to hold it, okay? You're like, that's... <laughs> it's a briefcase to hold the briefcases. You're like, that's really eccentric. He's like, yeah. So... <laughs> and it's actually a gigantic case with one money order in it. He's like, he's like, he says, Brian, stop pushing it out the door. It's not yours. Okay. The, the money order is like from 7 Eleven for, for a billion. <laughs> Howard Hughes would have done that too. Howard well, Hughes. I'm robotic Howard Hughes. I would like a billion dollar money order. All right. So just cheaper to buy your chain. So you're already trying to push it out the door. They were staring like, no, no, Brian, it's not for you. But we'll pay you. You know, being Howard Hughes, like, I'll pay you $40. No, whatever. I'm going to pay you a million dollars. And here's what I need you to do. I want to spend this billion dollars on science, on some oh. radical scientific experiment or process or technology or whatever. But you're a young man. You, you think in these young new ways. How would you spend this billion dollars on science? You just exploded my brains out. Two times, baby. Who's playing the drinking game? That's two, two brain. Do you need time to think about it? Want to throw no, it? I kind of do. All Does right, Justin. Does Justin already have a decision? Justin, do you want to think about it? Do you have a claim? Um... You know, I don't, this is you know not exactly my my area of expertise since I'm not exactly a scientifically well read. Well, I mean, to be honest, to be honest, my first call is probably to Andrew. Yeah, that's because, assumed. Like you know, that's uh, that's way more up his his alley. But he's like, he's I a jerk. The Maine's a jerk. Maine has anything yeah. to do with this. Yeah, the deal's off, off the table. No, well, I'm taking like back my horse pot. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I like the uh, wild, uninformed, screamed opinion of you, <laughs> my young friend. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm a big space travel guy, so I, I would definitely say, I think, you know, between what we're doing in terms of, uh, you know, getting people into space and, and, and the colonization of worlds beyond, that's definitely where I would be. Uh, All right. I, I would be into Let me Let me throw out a... Uh... Or the singularity. Well, let me throw out a wrinkle for you, okay? Like maybe, maybe right. you would, maybe you could say, "Well, listen, um, I'm an idiot. I mean, literally, I'm an yeah. idiot. I'm a functional yeah. idiot." Andrew tells me this all the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I cry myself to sleep at night with my my stupid idiotic Done. trembling. Check. Um, 
and then I wake up in the middle of the afternoon because mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. Doop de doop de doo de doo. Okay. All right. All right we All go. of a sudden, this podcast takes a dark turn where the next hey, 20 okay. minutes are Andrew describing uh, yeah, Justin's yeah, day yeah. with the word idiot. I just peed. So, anyway, I, I go to school like an idiot. Do 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 do. I'm 16. Yeah. Flash forward 17. Still an yeah. idiot. Whoops. Uh, what did I forget to do this year? Oh, go to school. So, yeah. you say, listen, can I, can I get like some of the brightest minds I know? Yeah. And like have a conference and ask them. He's like, no. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> oh, so, so it's got to be you. You've got to decide. Well, I, man, that, that sort of takes the wind out of my sails because my answer was going to be to outsource Wait for Teller it. to call? Yeah, it, it was for- going to be to outsource it to Bill Gates because that's essentially the problem. Bill Gates, like Bill Gates kind of has that exact situation where when, after a while he decided, you know what, screw this money. And so it's like he he's made like a tactical decision as to where this money can go the farthest and do the most good. And so he's just like, hey, you know what? Nobody seems to care about malaria. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what we could do? Save millions of people. It's like he, he looked at a cost benefit analysis and realized that for the least amount of dollars, he could do the most amount of good in the world. Yeah, and is spending. you could do that. I know. Or we could go to space. <laughs> well, you know, what's great is there was a, I re- remember reading a lot of biographies on Bill Gates and some of these were written in the nineties and they were kind of, some of them were kind of critical. Like, you know, he still hasn't spent his money yet. And one of them talked about how on his vacations, he was reading all these books on biotechnology and disease and all that. And it's like, he's probably planning something really smart to do with his money. And then a few years later, turned out, what did he invest, you know, take this billions to do, like you just said, you know, to cure malaria right. and, you know. Now, and so that's the question. And it seems like the selfish part of me wants to say, let's do something nutty and make humanity's mark, you know, by by freaking flying super far out or developing a space elevator. I mean, to be honest, of everything I want, I want a space elevator. But I'm going to feel real guilty yeah. When I go to Africa and a million people are like, we could have lived because they're ghosts. They're going to follow me around. We could have lived. Whitey's on the the space space elevator. elevator. (laughs) That's right. It'll be a haunted space elevator as a result. We'll have the space elevator, but it'll be haunted by the souls of the million people who could have lived if we had given them the money. I'll tell you what. Billion dollars, recreational wormholes. Let's make it happen (laughs) right now, folks. I want it. I want those in toy stores. Screw these. By the way, you don't mean cameras. you don't mean like the Einstein wormhole. You mean actual like rotten fruit. <laughs> is what yep, you're saying? That's it. But giant dune-sized worms. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, that's my short answer. Is is if it's me, what I want? Billion dollars straight to the space elevator. Yeah, but you right won't, you, won't, you won't get a space elevator for a billion. Well, I know, but I, we could make the biggest leaps towards it. We could prove. Uh, you know, like the DARPA challenge, they, in fact, they just had a winner recently mm-hmm. for the ability to have a spider crawl up and down a ribbon that can continue to, to lay, lay fiber. Mm-hmm. So when, when a, a wiser investment might be than nanoscale materials, the space elevator, but I mean, you know, they're, they're the solve the little problems that we still need to get. Listen, Here, listen here's the AM. thing. We I were will, big picture guys. I will we'll let, we'll let the field generals figure out exactly what we need to do. We're just going to yell things right. really loud until they happen. I tell you what, you want your proposal approved, you add the word space elevator, whatever it is. You're like right. nanobots. I'm like, meh. You're like nanobots to help with the space elevator. I'm like, here's a billion dollars. Very cool. I'm a big fan of space by, elevator. By the way, that's, you, you make one decision with the money. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's whoever gets the proposal first and it has the word space elevator in there. They're like, uh, you're like, you're like mice genetics. Meh. 
mice genetics for the space elevator. Okay, here you go. I love it. Brian, Brian handles what might be the most important step forward in modern science history, the way that a radio station handle uh, Lady Gaga tickets. <laughs> is whoever you know, calls the first, first? The first person in. There we go. You're you know going. What would be great? You know what would be great is I actually should say, yeah. you know, the 93rd proposal gets gets the money. And it's just hey, like, right. like, hey, caller, who, who, who's your favorite eccentric billionaire? Brian Brushwood. He'll say, shout space elevator, space elevator. Well, gentlemen, I think your answers are interesting. <laughs> and by interesting, you mean sad. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the space elevator, but, you know, my fear, my fear, Brian, with your proposal is... Is getting stuck on it halfway up. Well, I mean... With no. somebody you have a disagreement with, and you have to work it out before the space elevator continues. Well, is it, you know, you'll end up with you know, some interesting technology and some ideas, but because it's going to take a much bigger, you, you need somebody else to come in with the $20 billion commitment to make it happen. And it's, that's the hardest part is, you know, there's some things you say, okay, do we try to radically push this thing now? Or is it make, does it make more sense to do it 10 years from now? Well, certainly. Yeah. And down the road, it will be cheaper, but you got to keep taking those steps forward. Mm-hmm. And if we have a free hey, billion what, what, what if you're the one who makes it possible 10 years from now? Cause you take this step. Well, Dude, I'm telling you, whoever whoever builds the space elevator. By the way, for those who don't understand the the costs of uh, you know uh, magnitude, right now it's ten thousand dollars per pound to use a chemical rocket to launch stuff into space. If you build a space elevator, it could be like three dollars a pound, mm-hmm. something ridiculous. And and actually, you know what's interesting too about the space elevator is that when you start putting things like solar panels and stuff like that and start using it to get stuff up there, your energy costs start heading towards zero. Then we would have, and you know what? That's the thing. Then we would actually have a hard line down to earth. And so we could, we could have an entire solar farm mm-hmm. out where, where the juice is the hottest mm-hmm. and uh, just pipe that energy straight. You down. probably want to, you wouldn't want to use a hard line. You probably want to use some other means to like microwaves. Yeah. 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 But then, but that's not, you'd be better off just building a solar farm on earth. Uh, 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 there's there's a very very interesting and also amount of space too i mean that's a problem too is you take the amount of available space you need for solar panels gets to be there's not a lot of space to put them there why don't we build more space i'm all for that all right i think your answers are very interesting gentlemen and i, I don't think that anybody's i don't what was justin's answer his answer was just space. a great space. space. Like space, I baby. said space elevator. As long as his proposals have the word space, yeah. you get it. Yeah, I think Justin should go to Elon Musk and go, all right, guys are doing great. What will a billion dollars get me? Yeah, no, that's what I want to do. I, I'm just going to go to him and say, I'm going to, I want to cash in all these arcade tickets and let me know how many <laughs> rockets when, when I get my rocket sled. So I get this Santa up to the heavens with my eight rockets that I bought that's from Elon you're gonna Musk. You're going you're gonna to like you're Han gonna... Dasher, Han Dancer. <laughs> and you're just, I could totally see you refusing to wear a space suit or anything. You're like, come on, nope. does Santa wear a space suit? And you just freeze in mid space. Exactly, exactly. Now that's the way to go out. Then, then people take my space elevator. They go up, and you would become a tourist att- attraction to see your your <laughs> frozen grin floating around the Earth forever. Thanks, Mister uh, Howard Hughes, robotic, possibly Howard Hughes. In a way, we've seen this um, kind of bet being made right now, and. 
you know, people with a lot of money being asked to say, okay, if you're going to put your money into one thing, where are you going to put it into? What technology? Where? Because that's the thing you put, like, where can your technology, where can your money have a, a leverage? Where can you get the most leverage right now? You know, what are some of the most promising areas as far as what could happen? And again, I think a space elevator, grand idea. But, you know, do you, if you take the NASA approach where you try to make this thing with, you know, the problem with the space shuttle is a space shuttle was 1970s level technology that we're still trying to keep around today. Plus, they keep blowing up. Well, that's why they keep blowing up, you know. And part of the problem, too, is, you know, because to get enough senators to agree to build the thing, it had to be both built, you know, in multiple states in order to ship the rocket engines to do that. They had to break down in places that an engineer would say you should never have this thing be broken down at, whatever. And it becomes this compromise. And, you know, NASA filled with brilliant people and they've done amazing things and I'm not second guessing that whole thing there but you get into this big huge problem and you create this big huge enterprise to try and do things where maybe if you come up with some real incremental solutions and that's one of the one of the things being said right now with the whole climate debate you know do we really need this massive command and control Soviet style economy economic model placed upon the global economy to fight the problems of CO2 emissions or do we let the thing that's brought about the most prosperous point in human history solve the problem through the market and i think that same answer can apply to like radical technology you know who's going to solve this problem you know you know whatever problems we have and bring in the future it's going to be guys like elon musk with spacex and tesla motors it's going to be guys like dean Kamen and his mad brain and it's going to be guys like craig venter you know who's one of the reasons why we're able to decode the human genome in the rate that we did because he had radical ideas on how to do that and do you know about his company, Synthetic Genomics, Brian? No, I do not, sir. Okay. So Vintner, mad genius, brilliant, brilliant guy. He was the guy that came up with the whole scattershot approach to try and solve, you know, sequence the human genome. Says, let's use compu- supercomputers. Let's break that genome into tiny little bits and then sequence those little bits and then figure out how they all put together using supercomputers and do it much faster, which is how we do things now. He's created a company called Synthetic Genomics. And the goal of synthetic genomics is basically to use microorganisms to build different things, to make fuels, to make materials, what have you. And they've been able to do some really incredible things. One of the first things they did is they took the DNA for like, you know, the smallest bacterium they could find, and they got rid of every bit of information they don't think they needed to still have a bacteria that functioned. Because then with this very, very basic building block bacterium, they could plug other things into it. You know, they might find the gene sequence for some photosynthetic algae. Well, I think they're all so they fun. built like a blank canvas. Is mm-hmm. what you're exactly, saying. exactly. So you know, the idea is that you could then plug in a photosynthetic gene sequence into this algae, into this, this bacterium, and then you could put some control, get rid of inhibitors on it and have it be a thousand times more efficient in creating things. You, know, you can actually have the thing produce hydrogen, take in air and water and CO2 and produce hydrocarbon fuels. Dude, that's so awesome because that's something I've wondered about since I was a kid. Like, why can't we just program ants to pick up our litter? Well, like, he's, make ants that want to pick up cigarette butts that's and a, make their Brian, hives Well, that's out. a great idea. And that's, in a way, that's what they're trying to do. And they've done some fascinating things. Like, that's one of the things is trying to create the simplest organism. They've actually taken the DNA from one bacterium and implanted it in a totally different bacterium and had it take over function of it. They're now at the point where they're creating synthetic. They're actually literally from the ground up writing using just a computer program. Say, let's use this sequence here, the sequence here, using a DNA sequencer to output a little strand of DNA that they can then put into an organism and basically have it be a synthetic organism. 
Sweet. So that's synthetic biology. So this guy, his ideas, and again, this is a guy that's been proven right before. He's made millions of dollars. He's an eccentric guy. He took a yacht around the world, collected all these samples of DNA of, gen- of genes from around the world to find all these things. Because you know, he might go to in the Galapagos Island, he might find some pond there with a particular kind of algae that doesn't exist anywhere else that might produce hydrogen. And one of his goals is he's working on what's called third order. Uh, Third order, uh, basically uh, biofuels. So it's like it's like a third Reich okay, well, of biofuels. Yes, precisely, <laughs> precisely, exactly. Awesome. Oddly awesome. enough, you'd be interesting if you read what they had to do wartime for fuel supplies too. But <laughs> first generation, a first generation biofuel would be just basically taking like sawgrass or things like that, and you know, or sugarcane or corn or whatever, and just turning that into a fuel. Okay. Second generation biofuel would be basically like trying to find a better, you know, an algae or something like that that produces it and trying to get them to create it in sort of the second order way, you know, maybe doing a little engineering. Third order is basically building from the ground up a specific organism to produce a fuel. Okay. Yes. Okay. Slave bugs. Well, the point is because his idea is like, you know what? Why don't we make a why don't we make an organism that does this that also takes in CO2? And so it reduces CO2 in the atmosphere as it produces a clean fuel like hydrogen or what have you. And so th- See, this is uh, you talk about the fits and starts. You talk about the jagged edges mm-hmm. that got you all proclaimed. That's that's kind of what I wonder is going to happen. I wonder if it's like, look, we're too stupid right now to do anything about global warming. Why don't you give us 15 years and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the idea will come to us? Well, that's he's Craig Ventner trying to solve this problem. You know, he, his belief, he's a guy that's looked at the data and all that and says that well, if you want to if you want to get rid of CO2, if you want to stop CO2 from being produced by man, which, you know, in the ability that it has to, you know, absorb infrared energy, whatever it does to the atmosphere as a side point, if you want to do that, no current Political model works. No scientific proposal works. The only thing that's going to work is actually physically changing the way we produce fuel. And his idea is this is you know, basically using algae. And I've talked to them, oh, yeah, I know all about algae. And they, they, there's other second-generation biofuels. Do you do algae? This is third generation. This is designing it from the ground up. And not a whole lot of people are actually trying to do that. So so I think the uh, I think the just sitting around arguing is working out fine for us. What's working for you and me. To actually, Absolutely. You know, <laughs> just sit, we just keep arguing, and then it'll fix itself. So a uh, company comes along and says, you know what? Uh, we, we see which way the wind's blowing. We understand where things are going. We need to think about new ways to get fuels, and we think there's a lot of potential here. Um, we'll put $600 million into this. That company's Exxon. In your face. Uh, well, I was going to say mobile, but I realized mobile and Exxon are the same <laughs> company now. So, In your face, mobile, yeah. the other division of Exxon. There you go. So that's, you know, that's one of those things where if you try and figure out where is that critical point that you could put a ton of money in to change the future, you know, I look at that and I go, man, that's exciting. And, and this thing has applications for everything. And there's right now there's a movie that's getting some attention, which is called like Collapse or whatever. Uh, you know, it's basically this guy just talking about could, how. Could you say that with more derision? I, I Detected a hint of derision. <laughs> no, as he I said think the name. he really likes this movie, right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. It's it's. I, See, I got, okay, I'm yeah. smelling derision. That was derision. <laughs> well, the problem is, is again, is that we we. I wonder if we could power a car by derision. We when we <laughs> in that case, all of a sudden, like we're putting around in our Model Ts, and all of a sudden, just cruising up with this giant muscle car as Andrew. He's like, exactly. "What's and up?" All, and all you have to do is just have Fahrenheit 911 playing the entire time. Well, and it's like he's getting ready to leave, and so we're like, we're "Like, you want to hang out with us?" And he just goes. The, and all of a sudden he's gone. The, just zero to sixty and one. It's written by a uh, reporter writer. I mean, it stars reporter writer uh, Michael Rupert, who does this sort of talk talking about peak oil. You know, and, and we've we've passed peak oil, and 
you know, once you pass peak oil, that everything's going to just go to hell from there. And peak oil is a whole nother discussion, you know, as far as how we reach, you know, if we have this. I don't see how urine in a coil is going to help anything. No, it does. It's wonderful. Helps, you know, smoother, you know, especially if he has horse (laughs) pop. So anyhow, but the point is, the point of the the documentary, which is now making the rounds, is that, you know, oh, you know, we reach the point of peak oil. And once we start running out of oil, it's not just fuel. We base plastics and all these other materials are based on that. Once we run out of things, society is going to fall apart. It's going to be Mad Max. Roger Ebert just gave this thing a glowing review. And he's like, you know what? It's scary because it's true. I can't find anything wrong with this. And it's like, well, you know, it kind of just kind of. Ah, Master economist and sociologist Roger yeah, Ebert. Yeah, I love reading Roger Ebert, and so oh, he's great. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the best you know, yeah. movie critics of all time. A movie critic. And now, so, let me tell you, dude, don't ever bet on man to save his ass last minute. Exactly. Uh, wait, yeah, don't bet against man to save. Oh, his ass. oh no, that was back. Well, too, right? I want to do a documentary like Justin and I. I don't know if you and Brian too, and like we're gonna have this uh, this old like you know twelve frame per second film from like you know the Millier's brother era like 1892 or whatever and it's going to be justin with with captions coming up on the screen bemoaning the end of sperm whale oil and because <laughs> we're running out of you know we we're only there's only so many sperm whales we're running out of this stuff it's going to be the collapse how are we going to power our lights what is this we're going to be in darkness it's going to be anarchy whatever then we're going to do you know you know me and like you know 1920s talking about you know how uh you know we're running out of this coal <laughs> You know, it's get coal's getting harder to find, and you know what are we gonna do? There's no more coal, and you know people claim this oil that's coming out of the ground in Texas and Arkansas is gonna have a wider application, and be ridiculing them, you know. And then you know have you you know fast forward today, and you know ignoring all these other things. And we've got like, you yeah. know, as far as carbon fuel stuff like that, there's you know forget forget even you know moving on to oil, methane hydrates, all the you know forget oil shale, methane hydrates, all this other stuff. We're not gonna run out. But, you know, you're going to reach this point where something else becomes cheaper and more easy to do, and that's going to be biofuels. Man, I, I, I got to tell you, Andrew, I mean, I could go on. I mean, you you sort of made it very difficult for me by by talking about topics that I'm very passionate and interested about because that makes me not want to be an idiot and make jokes the entire time long. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Weird Things has gone off on, I apologize, perhaps a little bit more of a intellectual <laughs> too smart for you, yeah, sir. Than, 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 uh, that's than it. certainly you i would have intended that was the one play you didn't expect is intelligence i know I, yes that's it when it starts off is where you're gonna bang your wife's clone <laughs> and ends on a, the singularity. Know, a serious conversation about how energy dependence will affect the next uh the next hundred to a thousand years of human evolution but how all the conventional people have it all wrong <laughs> yes yes so uh, again, we apologize. I got a, I got a few more questions on here that we'll get to the next time. Some probing, searing. Are we still taking submissions for questions? Sure. They want to drop us of course, an email. Always, always. Yeah, I, I think we've you know we've asked nobody. I think has sent us one yet. Have they? Well, luckily we didn't we didn't cover any remotely controversial topics during this episode. So I expect nobody will have anything to no, disagree no, with us on absolutely at not. all. Absolutely. No, no, no. Yeah, everybody send your topics to justinrobertyoung at gmail.com. Subject line, religion is a lie. Yes, subject line, Jesus is fake. And and we'll go from there. (laughs) We just lost our listener. Well, thank you for tuning in. It's been weird.